Vintage Church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. It's why we do everything we do. This standard for the church was set by Jesus himself when he passed the baton to his first followers. Jesus modeled what the Father desired for his people, and it is this example that we aim to reflect. We take this time every year to examine his life, to be reminded of what it really means to live and love like Jesus. This is Live Love 2019. Good morning. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to do. Um, If you're visiting for the first time, hey. (laughs) You know, we we have plans and we we work and we do certain things to get this experience ready every weekend. But one of the things that we've always hoped is we would be sensitive to what God wants to do. And I don't know, maybe you're here and, and, and you're not a church person and, and this is all new to you, uh, but we have, from the very onset of this thing, have just decided that, that there's something that God wants to do week in and week out, not because, um, because we need it. It's because we need it, because there's something that, that we need periodically as we gather as the family of God, or we just need to... There's something different. I mean, you can meet with God anywhere, right? Come on, you can meet with God anywhere. You can, you can have, you can have church in the car at any moment, at any time. But collectively and corporately, when we gather under one roof, there's something special about it. There's something powerful about it. And and our hope has always been really one thing that that when we gather, whatever we do that has the name or is under the umbrella of Vintage Church, that when you walk away from that thing, you feel more inspired to live in love like Jesus. Like, that has always been our goal. Um, our goal is that you're inspired, not impressed. Um, I mean, we're not here to, to impress you or to entertain you. And, and, and I know that, that what God does in this room, it's cool and all those kinds of things. But, like, if you don't leave this room today again, and I know, like, Matt, we hear this all the time. Yeah, and as long as I'm the pastor here, you can hear more. That when, if we gather in this place and you don't leave with a deeper level of commitment, desire, belief, uh, and living and loving like Jesus, then, then we gathered in vain. Because if you walk out of this room today and it doesn't change in some way the way that you live, then you came here for no reason. I'm not saying this because of anything that, that I said or the band did, but because God showed up in a way that said, all right, here's what you need to know to move closer to who I created you to be. And maybe that happens in a conversation you have in the parking lot. Maybe that has, happens in an interaction with somebody in the lobby. Or maybe that is a word that comes out of my mouth. Or maybe it's a lyric in a song. But something has to, set to, to move in you in such a way that when you walk out of this building in just a little bit, like, you realize how important it is for you to live out the faith that he's put in you. That you no longer are satisfied with just allowing Christian to be a label that you carry. (laughs) 
Because for some of us, that's isn't that what it becomes. We just become like, oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. He actually believes, it, believes in him more than you do because he's seen him. But what if we, what if we got this right? What, and I don't mean us. Uh, I mean like those people who call themselves followers of Jesus or Christians or decide whatever term you use. What if we actually got this right? What if we actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to let our lives look like his life? I mean like constantly not for a season or for a moment uh, like like constantly let it what if what if we got so serious and so committed to this thing that we actually allowed the holy spirit in us in such a way that everywhere we went and whoever we were around and like we actually lived and loved like jesus that he actually became we, we, we really got this right because, see, the reason why this thing feels broken at sometimes is because we've gotten it wrong for so long. And the only way for us to get it right, the only way for us to live in love like Jesus is we have to really understand how Jesus lived and loved. Like, that's the only way to get it right is, is, is to, is if we're going, if that's your desire, and I don't know if that's desire, you may not care. You may just be here because somebody drug you here or whatever, but I believe that God's about to wreck your life in the best way possible. Um, or maybe you have this, 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 a lot of us know what it means to be Christian. Very few know what it means to be like Jesus. They're not always the same thing. And so every year we do this series called Live Love. And what we do is we go by, is, is for several months in preparation to teach this series, I, I grab this book and I open up to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically, and I read through the Gospels over and over and over again, again, to remind myself, all right, if, I, if this church exists to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, then we have to really know how Jesus lived and loved. And the only way you find that is here. Like the only way you know how Jesus really lived and loved is to, is to dive into the Word. And when you, when you dive into the verb, what you realize is, is cultural Jesus ain't scriptural Jesus. Popular Jesus ain't biblical Jesus. And we live in a world that, like, like, like especially now, it even seems more in, like in our culture, um, that, that wants to manipulate who Jesus is and that kind of stuff. But what, what's bad about that is when, when I start looking at how Jesus really lived and really loved, I feel real bad about myself. Y'all don't because y'all are holy and righteous and great people. Because mm-hmm. um, then I start realizing, not only does it like, did I, do I not look like him personally, even my f- philosophy of how I approach life looks very different than his. Because there's a way that Jesus approached life that if we are going to live and love like Jesus, we've got to adopt that same mindset. And what I notice is Jesus had this mindset of ministry all the time. Jesus, as we said it last week, Jesus never let anything move him off mission. He always lived on mission. He was always ministering to people as he moved throughout life. And if you're going to live in love like Jesus, you've got to adopt that same mindset. You, th- this church is a family and every member is a minister. Wow. D- did you know that? You are a minister. But no, I'm not. Like you've got to go to Bible college to be a minister. No, you don't. Like you, you are, because you're a minister when you live on mission. 
and, and, and you have a mission as a follower of Jesus. Again, inspiring people to live in love like Jesus, not the motto of a church. It's the mission of every individual in it. And when we own that, when we adopt that, when we, when we buy into that, it changes everything. But what happens is when you begin to really look at how Jesus ministered, what you're going to find is it looks different than what we have made it to be so often. Because when we think of ministry and we think of ministering for Jesus, like our default is to a place that I don't think Jesus is comfortable with. Because when I think ministry, I think Event or trip? Like I live on missions when we have a missions event or when I have a missions trip. And it's funny. This is what I thought of all morning. If somebody in your regular everyday life showed up and watched you on a missions trip or at a missions event, would they be confused by the person they see? I'm going to have to say that again because it's better than y'all responded. If... Like, if you, went on a mis- if you went on a missions trip or we planned a missions event where we're going to go into the community and engage with people and, 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 and do a, a corporate event as a church, if the people in your everyday life, just if the people you work with or the people you go to school with or the, your, your neighbors just stood back and watched you on that trip or at that event, they would think, who is that? Because that's not my neighbor. She don't even ever speak to me. Who is that? I don't, that's not my cousin at family events. She the worst one. (laughs) Did I really just do that? (laughs) See, if, if who you are on a missions trip or at a mission event is so different than who you are, something is wrong. But isn't that who we've become? Missions is not an event or a trip. It's an everyday moment. And until we learn that every moment is a missions trip, we're never going to be very good at this. Because see, when it becomes a trip or an event, another really, really weird thing as we do is we begin to, like, determine who those are for. And as if missions is something you do for a specific group of people, a specific kind of people, or type of people. See, missions is what you go do for the little poor people, the poor folks. And you go over there, and you do it, and you serve, and you feel really good about yourself. Then you go back to your regular life. And when I study the life of Jesus, what I realize is the way that I see ministry and the way that I see missions looks very different than what I've created in my mind. Because I put it in a container, almost as if, if, as if God values ministry in certain places and to, to certain people more than others. Almost as if ministry... For some of us, ministry is going into a park, and handing out sandwiches to homeless people. And now that is ministry. But for a lot of us, if it doesn't look like that, we don't think it's ministry. I'm preaching, good, I'm preaching gooder than y'all responded. Um, like if it, if it doesn't look like that, and if it's not something that we've organized, it's got to be something organized. It can't be something organic. 
And it's got to be to a certain category of people that we believe that, that is more noble to serve than others. And the problem is when we begin to do that, we fail to be like Jesus. Because when I read the Gospels and I see all the different encounters that Jesus had with people, it begins to wreck my model of ministry. <laughs> so I'm going to wreck yours. If it's going to wreck mine, I'm going to wreck y'all's too. Okay, go to the Bible. Or pull up in the app. Because we're going to be all over the Gospels here in just a second. Because I just want to show you a handful of encounters that Jesus has. And just how diverse ministry is. How diverse ministry should be. And if we're going to live and love like Jesus, then, then, then it's got, some things have got to change. And our mindset and our approach to how we walk through this life. And I want to do that just by showing you four encounters that Jesus had with, with different people. And how ministry is so different in missions and working and serving and being an instrument of the gospel that we're called to be looks very different than we're trying to box it in. John chapter 3. Y'all know John chapter 3 because y'all know John chapter 316. Yeah, y'all know that verse. Don't know nothing else in the Bible, but you know that verse. <laughs> it was on Tim Tebow's eye black and you looked it up because you just thought Tim Tebow was cute. And I, says, I, mean, I don't know. John chapter 3. See, you forget that that, that John 3.16 was in the context of an interesting conversation. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And one of the first ministry opportunities that John records is a conversation that Jesus has with a well-known man in that community who comes to Jesus at night. Do you see how much that wrecks our model of ministry? Number one, Jesus didn't go to Nick. Nick came to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that, like, we have to go. We have to go. But we've turned ministry into a go-then-do, when I think Jesus intended to be a do-as-you-go. And Jesus had been living in such a way that caused Nick to take notice. So much so, he's willing to engage Jesus because he's got questions. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't give him a sandwich or a dollar or the Roman road, a pamphlet, a bunch of Bible verses to read. He engages him in a conversation. That can't be ministry. What? Ministry can't happen at Starbucks over a cup of coffee with somebody who's got questions. He engages him. Wait a minute. Nicodemus, he ain't even poor. Jesus, I hear all the time, well, you know where Jesus would be if he was here today. Oh, really? Where would that be? Oh, he... he he would be, he'd be in the, in the bar ministering to the drunk people. Okay? Y'all know y'all have had these conversations, right? Right? Jesus would be, I hear this all the time, Jesus would be in the streets. What does that mean? Like this, this goes, come on, right? Come on, y'all with me? Don't act like I'm crazy. Y'all have these conversations and we, we put Jesus in this thing like, like Jesus only cared about poor people in the streets. As if he doesn't care about CEOs in an office building. 
As if somehow Jesus put people into categories and said, y'all more important than others. Y'all deserve me more. Like, no. Like, this is a great example. Like, number one, Jesus is engaged. All right, here's what I learned from this. Jesus lived in such a way that caused Nicodemus curious enough to have questions. I want to live the same way. I want to live in such a way that causes people to be curious enough to have questions. See, now I think we live in a way that causes people to have questions, but it's not because they're curious. It's because they're confused. Because you know Jesus, but you don't act like you know Jesus. You know Jesus, and you mean. That's confusing. I got questions. You know Jesus, and somehow you worry just as much as I worry. That doesn't make sense to me. You know Jesus, but you keep still doing the same dumb things I'm doing. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm confused. We good at living like that. But I'm talking about living in a way that makes people curious. Like, how do you have peace when chaos is breaking loose around your life? Why, why do you talk to God about everything? Why are you so nice to me when I've been so mean to you? Like, live in a way that causes people curious enough to have questions. But I also want to live in a way that allows them to be comfortable enough to ask me. You ever notice Jesus was attractive? I know that's a weird word in church right now. Like, live in a way that, that attracts people because we, we've misunderstood the whole thing, but it causes people to take notice, but also approachable. Jesus lived in such a way that made Nicodemus curious, but he also lived in a, in, in a way that made Nicodemus comfortable enough to approach him and engage him. And Christians can be some of the most unapproachable people on the planet. Amen, somebody. I know it's because we think we're better than everybody else, maybe. I don't know. But Nicodemus comes and he's asking questions. And how does Jesus minister to him? With a conversation. I know we live in a world that, like, values one way of ministering than other. But there's times when a conversation is required. Like, I know, I know we love to go into the park and hand the homeless person a sandwich because then we can walk away and never have to actually engage people and have a meaningful talk. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Look at me. I'm not saying that there isn't value in giving the homeless person a sandwich. There ob absolutely, obviously is. You with me? Say amen. But what if God wants more? And see, some of us, like, we're missing out on opportunities because we don't, we don't want to talk to people. Maybe because we're scared to talk to people. I get asked all the time, Pastor Matt, um, will you come talk to my uncle about Jesus? If you ever call me and ask me that, here's what I'm going to follow up with. Have you talked to your uncle about Jesus? Because you know your uncle. I don't know your uncle. And maybe God put your uncle in your life because he wants you, use you to bring him to Jesus. Oh, Pastor Matt, I can't talk to him about Jesus. Why? I'm scared he's going to ask me a question I don't know. So am I. Me too. Don't be afraid to engage people in conversations because you don't have all the answers. Because if you are, you ain't never talking to nobody. You will never have all the answers. You will never know all there is to know about God. But you are an expert in everything he's ever done for you. Why don't you just start there? So one of the most powerful stories, which has one of the world's most famous verses, came out of a conversation that Jesus didn't even initiate. Remember this story? Go to Luke chapter 19. 
Luke chapter 19. Some of y'all grew up in church are going to know this because you used to little, sing a little song about him. Zacchaeus. Yeah, get it? Little song? Because he was a wee little man, and a wee little, wee little man was he? It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Jesus did not minister to wealthy people. He ministered just to the poor people, right? It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I, I laugh. It's just funny to me. Like this dude, so again, Jesus has lived in such a way that has made Zacchaeus curious enough to want to get a closer look. If you live in a way that makes people curious, they're going to want a closer look. Just make sure when they get closer, what you look like from a distance also looks like up close. Y'all ever been there? What they look like from a distance ain't what they look like up close. And I ain't talking about physically, although sometimes that's true. <laughs> like from over there, wait a minute. Oh, no, you look good from back here. No. <laughs> like the people that you thought were, were, were godly and kind and generous until you got to know them and realized it was all just an act. Yes. Yes. I wanted to get close. Look at Jesus going to great lengths. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Because Jesus didn't know it was impolite to ask yourself over to somebody else's house. <laughs> so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. Now look, very different than our encounter with Nicodemus, right? Here, even though even though Zacchaeus has taken these great lengths to see him, Jesus is the one that extends the invitation this time. Jesus is the one that says, hey, come down here, man. Let's go to your house. I know that me going to your house is going to make people talk. I don't care. I don't care. Because see, people who live and love like Jesus don't care what other people think when God's calling and anointing and ministry is in there. We just say, you know what, I don't care what you think. I'm not afraid that sometimes ministering on behalf of Jesus may cause your reputation to take a hit because people don't understand. He says, let me, let me go to your house. But you know what I always wonder about this story? How did Jesus notice that little man? Like, did he see him climb the tree? Was he... And, 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 and maybe I'm overthinking this, but this is what the line that God gave me reading this story was Jesus knew that to accomplish purpose, you've got to always be paying attention. And how many opportunities do we miss to fulfill purpose just because we're not paying attention? That if we're not, when's the last time you looked up from your own life to notice the people around you? That we get so into our lives that we're just plowing through with our head down to the next thing, the next event. Got to get him to practice and her there and get this homework done and get ready for work tomorrow and do this and do that and get all this stuff done. And we live day in and day out just so hurried and so in a rush. Our heads down, our eyes are inward focused, and we miss so many moments of ministry that are, 
around us because we're just not paying attention. That one of the greatest things that, that Jesus possessed was the, the gift of observation. He just paid attention. He just paid attention. He paid enough attention to notice Zacchaeus. Who in your life is going unnoticed? Who's looking for the hope that you say you have? Who's even clawing and climbing to try to find it? And you're the one, the God-ordained person to point them to God, but you're just not paying attention. And you're rushing through. Let's keep reading. Go over to Mark chapter 5. Here's another chance that Jesus gets to mention. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. Again, it's just crowds of people. That's one thing I notice is if you notice every time, Jesus is living in such a way that, that people are drawn to him. And he's living in such a way that he's open to them coming to him. And I know this is what we, what we want to think is, you see, oh, well, he's Jesus. Of course, everybody's drawn to Jesus. But maybe we're supposed to live with the same mindset. When we live in such a way and our faith is such, so pure and so consistent that people take notice, but what if we live more just approachable? That we're, we're so closed off to people. Come on. You know why a lot of people won't talk to you about God? Because you give them a look that says, if you talk to me about anything, you're annoying. Come on, somebody. It says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. Time out. Notice this. The first three stories that we just read, the Bible records all three of their names. Now, that's going to change at times. But these were three people that were so significant and so known and so important that their names were known and important enough to record for all of history to know. I just stopped, I want to tell you that because, yes, and we're going to see in a minute, Jesus ministered to the unknown and the nobody, but he also met the needs of the known and the somebody. Because Jesus, when he looked at people, didn't see categories, he didn't see positions, he didn't see titles, he just saw opportunity. It says, the one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So now this is even different. Like somebody came to Jesus, and, Je and he says, Jesus, my daughter, she's hurting, she needs you, she's going to die. And you know what Jesus says, I'll go. And here again, it's like ministry by destination. He's going to a place to meet a need and do a thing. Like that's, that's kind of where we box this thing in. But notice what happens on the way. Verse 25. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Notice the difference in how Mark records that. Jairus' daughter was sick. Jesus was going to Jairus' house. While Jesus was going to Jairus' house, some woman... Not even important enough to have her name recorded in Scripture. doesn't say, a nice young lady named Sally was there. Mary was on the way. Christine was like, no, no name. 
Jarius gets a title. This woman, her identification is wrapped up in her affliction. And so while he's on the way to minister to the man with the title, a woman unknown and unnamed interrupts. And look what Jesus does. It says, so she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She had been hurting. She had been in pain. Twelve Oh, not my iPad. I'm getting so excited. Twelve years. For twelve years, she had had this affliction. Can you imagine? Some of y'all have been dealing with something for twelve months, and you're, and you're done. But for twelve years, she's at the end of her rope. It's also a reminder. It may have been twelve years. It may have been 20 years. But God can still heal. <laughs> Don't let the duration of your pain doubt the power of your God. I just came up with that. <laughs> Don't let the duration of your pain doubt the power of your God. Because look at what happens. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, like just his shirt. Because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, that there's more power in his clothes than any doctor I saw for 12 years. If I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt her body be freed from her suffering. And that moment, 12 years. <laughs> For 12 years, doctor after doctor, dollar after dollar, nothing happened. And in just a moment, she clips the hem of Jesus' shirt. And what doctors couldn't do in 12 years, Jesus did in 12 tenths of a second. It says at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out for him. Jesus realized that something had happened. He says at once, he turned in the crowd and asked, touch my clothes. And they're like, Jesus, like, everybody's touching your clothes, man. Like, you're surrounded by all these people. There's people pulling at you and trying to get to you. Like, what do you mean? They're like, no, 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 there's, there's a specific person. So on the way to go to a house of a man who seems important, important enough to have his name recorded for all of time to know, he's touched by an unknown woman, and it's so important to Jesus, he stops in his tracks. You know what that says? That Jairus' daughter and Jairus are important but she is just as important. See, Jesus didn't elevate people. He didn't put people in different categories. He didn't say, okay, you're named and important, or you're unnamed and seemingly unimportant. Like all, they all kind of matter to Jesus. And see, we get into this place where we want to put people in the categories and act like it's more noble to serve one group of people than it is to serve another. But the nobility is in the willingness and the obedience to serve. And i got to just read verse 34. Because how she is remembered as this unknown woman, how she was remembered was not how she was known. She was remembered as a strange woman with an affliction, but she was known to Jesus as a daughter who found healing. Look what he says in verse 34. So he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. And see, what I'm reminded in this story is people who live in love like Jesus know the difference between an annoying disruption and a divine intervention. 
And so many of us, we're too busy. I would talk to you, but I'm in a hurry. I'd like to give you some time, but I got to get this thing done. How often do we just get so hurried and rushed through life that we miss opportunities like this because we're just not willing to stop and slow down and look at somebody? We've said, where I'm, if Jesus would have said, where I'm going is too important to stop, this woman's life would have, you said, oh, man, she would have still been healed. No, 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 listen to me. She was healed physically when she touched when that garment got touched. Okay, you with me? She was healed physically the moment he touched his garment. She was healed emotionally the moment Jesus stopped, looked at her, and said, daughter. Both are important. It's very similar to another story. Look at Matthew chapter 8. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Like just, all right, number one, don't miss out of the fact of how much courage it must have taken for this man just to walk up to Jesus. Because in this culture, remember, if you had any kind of disease or affliction, they thought you were cursed with that because God was mad at you. You had sinned, and now God is mad at you because you sinned, and so you sinned, leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you had to walk around saying, unclean, 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 if they didn't banish you to some far-off colony. Unclean, unclean, because that meant, here comes unclean, man. They all cross over to the other side of the street. Get away from him. And it would have even been illegal, unlawful for him to approach another person with that disease. But he so believes Jesus can do something, he's willing to break the law, break culture, break tradition, just to come to his feet. And then look what happens. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, the part of this story that always makes, stands out to me is, you notice what happened? He reached out his hand and he, he touched him. Now, if that was me, I'm like, stop. Be clean. All right, let's hug it out. See, the fact that Jesus healed him is impressive. But how he healed him is important. Because he touched him. That before he healed his disease, he cured his loneliness. Because that was probably the first human contact that man had had in years. And he knew what was most broken about him was not his body being ravaged by leprosy. It was his spirit from having to exist in isolation. (laughs) So how did Jesus live in love? Here's how I'll describe it. Whoever, whenever, however, forever. Whoever, whenever, however, forever. Whoever. Whoever he had the opportunity to heal, to minister to, to speak. Whoever. It didn't matter. That means he could give the homeless man a sandwich or he could sit at a coffee shop with the atheist CEO and answer questions. One is not more noble than the other. Whenever, whenever the opportunity created itself, he was ready. He didn't wake up in the morning and say, all right, disciples, here's what we're going to do. At noon, we're going to the homeless shelter. At three, we're going to the soup kitchen. At four, we're going here, we're going there. No, it's like, we're just going to go. 
And as we go, we're going to be ready. We're going to be open. We're going to be usable by God no matter whenever he creates the opportunity. Whether it's when we get to work or when we get to school or when we get home or when we're walking in the neighborhood or when we're buying groceries or when we're on a missions trip or at an event created by the church. Like whenever, God, you say, boom, tag, you're in. It's time. Be my hands. Be my feet. Be my love. Be my light. Be ready and go. I don't care if you've had your coffee. I don't care if you're grumpy. I don't care if you're having a good day or a bad day. At all times, any place, anywhere, be ready to be used by God. <laughs> However, yeah, you're at the stop sign, and there's somebody there holding a sign, and God prompts your heart and says, give them some money. Stop making excuses and be obedient. Or a coworker comes up and engages you in a conversation, you don't let fear keep you from engaging in it. However, and for how long? Until he calls us home or everybody's found Jesus. What if we got this right? Change everything. Father, I pray that you'd help us to get this right. Now, God, forgive us for the times we've, we've boxed in and contained what it looks like to represent you and to minister for you and with you and through you, that we've waited for a calendar event or a gift-wrapped invitation and that we've just coasted for the times when we've closed ourselves off and we failed to see every moment as an opportunity to fulfill your mission. And so God, right now, whatever you need to do in the lives of your people to change that reality, I pray that you would do it. Where you need to bring conviction, bring conviction. Where you need to challenge us, challenge us. God, we just want to unleash heaven on this earth and we will only do that when we stop putting people in categories, when we stop waiting for the right time, when we think we've got to do it a certain way. God, stir something new in us right now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.